Want to write a novel but not sure where to start? Grab a copy of my free story starter kit workbook by going to savannagilbo.com forward slash starter kit. In this free multi-page guide, I'll walk you through the first five questions to ask and answer before writing any story. You'll get clarity on your characters, your setting, your theme, your plot, and so much more. So one more time, go to savannagilbo.com forward slash starter kit to grab your free copy. Sometimes there are scene breaks and instinctively the author has, you know, just had a scene and a scene break. But I don't look for a scene break to identify where a scene is personally because I'm looking for a value shift. So when I'm trying to identify when something of value has changed from beginning to end, that's when I can conclude if a scene has happened versus like a beat level. There's a change in tactic or a change in like how a character is approaching something. Welcome to the Fiction Writing Made Easy podcast. My name is Savannah Gilbo, and I'm here to help you write a story that works. I want to prove to you that writing a novel doesn't have to be overwhelming. So each week, I'll bring you a brand new episode with simple, actionable, and step-by-step strategies that you can implement in your writing right away. So whether you're brand new to writing or more of a seasoned author looking to improve your craft, this podcast is for you. So pick up a pen and let's get started. In today's episode, we're diving deep into the first chapter of Legendborn by Tracy Dion, and I'm excited to share this episode with you today for two reasons. First, it has been a while since Abigail and I have done an episode like this, and I love doing these type of episodes, so of course I'm excited. But also the audio I'm going to share with you is from our last book club meeting where we talked about this book, and it was so much fun. So I'm going to share a part of our book club discussion with you today. I'm not going to share the whole thing because it wouldn't be fair to the writers who paid to attend the book club meeting, but also our meeting was just over two hours long because we dove into way more than what you're going to hear today, so it's a little bit too long to share the whole thing on a podcast episode. And also, like I said, I want to be fair and respectful to the writers who attended live. But anyway, that's what we're going to dive into today. And as a reminder, if you want to learn more about the book club I'm talking about, or if you want to get access to the recording of this specific meeting, you can go to savannagilbo.com forward slash book dash club. So one more time, that's savannagilbo.com forward slash book dash club. I'll put that link in the show notes for easy access as well. Now, if you've never heard one of these episodes before, you're going to notice that I'm not alone in this recording. So I'm joined by a very special guest. Her name is Abigail K. Perry, and she's a developmental editor and book coach, as well as the host of an amazing podcast called Lit Match. On her podcast, she helps writers find the best literary agent for their writing and publishing careers. And I'm going to link to her podcast in the show notes, as well as where you can find Abigail around the internet if you would like to get in touch with her. Abigail and I like to pick apart the opening chapters of stories that we like to see how they work. And usually we do this on the macro and the micro level. But in today's discussion, you're mostly going to hear us talk about the micro level, so the scene structure. And we really focused our attention here during the book club meeting because there are two scenes within this opening chapter, and we really wanted to see why that was the case and how they work together to create a really impactful opening chapter. We also briefly talked about prologues in this discussion because there is one at the beginning of this book. So that's a very quick overview of what we're going to dig into today. There is going to be more information in the blog post that goes along with this episode, so make sure to check that out, and I'll put the link in the show notes for you. Now, with all of that being said, let's go ahead and dive right into the conversation. Okay, so three months later at Eno River State Park, Bree and Alice watch students from UNC jump off a cliff into the water below. 
They talk about Bree's black hair and Alice's Taiwanese-American hair in the community. Alice is unhappy about breaking the rules in their first night at early college. They were invited to the cliff jumping party by an older friend, Charlotte, who is also from Benhamville. They talked to Charlotte's boyfriend, Evan, who was eventually killed and replaced by a demon pretending to be a human. So we don't know that in the first chapter, but we figured that out later. Bree thinks about how people react to her mom's death and how her personality split into two parts before her mom's death, the before Bree, and after her mom's death, the after Bree. Bree starts behind when Alice goes off with Charlotte and Evan, and she contemplates cliff jumping. But a guy named Selwyn Kane, or Sel, appears and warns her not to jump. Bree feels electricity and some attraction, and when Sel looks at her, and then he grabs her wrist, asking if she felt, feels something, which Bree lies and says no. Shouts from the party cause Sel to run off. Bree follows, looking for her friends, and she finds a fight between four football players and sees something shimmering above the combatants. No one else except Sel sees what Bree sees, and this was what turns out to be a demon called Islaus. Bree remembers moments of being haunted by her mom, and Sel makes eye contact and telepathically commands Bree to leave. Perfect. Okay, so we put a poll in the chat um, for this question. How many scenes do you think are in the first chapter? We're going to answer this question as well, um, but go ahead and answer that poll. I'll leave it up for a little bit as I explain how we're going to look at the scenes. So if you've been here before, this is familiar, but if you haven't been to a book club meeting yet, we love to use um, the Five Commandments to break down a scene and see kind of how and why it works. And these are from both Robert McKee and Sean Coyne. They teach this framework. But basically, it all starts with the character's goal. So what does this person want to do? And then how does the conflict get in the way? So the inciting incident here is that first blip of conflict that gets in the way and can sometimes cause a new scene goal to arise. Then between the inciting incident and the turning point, there are progressive complications or moments of escalating conflict that lead to this turning point where the character is then going to face a choice based on the turning point. So the turning point has happened, now what? And the crisis is that now what? So am I going to do X or am I going to do Y? And usually these um, ch- the two things they're choosing between, or maybe, maybe three, whatever, um, are either equally good or equally bad, and they both come with stakes. So it needs to be a hard choice. The climax here is the decision that they make or the action they take. And the resolution is how it worked out or what happened. So this little arc of change here is going to tell us um, tell us what changed through the conflict that the character faces. So this is how we're going to analyze it. And let me just see um, what we all think here. So the majority, 63% said we think it's two scenes and 38% said one scene. So uh, very cool on that. I'll just put that up for a second if you guys can see. Um, but okay, so let's, we're going to just dig in. So we want to start with the character's goal, right? So in scene one, and this is spoiler, I guess, we think it's two scenes and we'll show you why in a second. In scene one, uh, Bree's goal is basically just to join Charlotte and the other kids for a fun night out at the quarry. So there's a party and it's tradition to jump off the cliffs. And also she tells us she can't just sit in her room because that's when she starts thinking about her mom. So she's just looking to, you know, have the college experience and go have fun. So the inciting incident or that first little blip of conflict that gets in the way is when Evan, who's Charlotte's boyfriend, recognizes Brie as the girl whose mom died. So she's leaving her room to get away from memories of her mom in this place where nobody knows her. 
And then Charlotte's boyfriend says, hey, my girlfriend talks about you and you're that girl whose mom died. So it's it's conflict for um, Brie. Then other things happen and we peek at this turning point here where Alice says, hey, I want to leave because people are jumping off cliffs. We're going to get in trouble. I don't want to get expelled, right? So now Brie faces a choice. Should she go back to the dorm room with Alice or should she stay with the other kids and have fun and risk getting into trouble or worse? So that's her choice. Uh, Both come with consequences. The decision she makes is that she says, I'm going to stay and I will meet up with you later, Alice. As a result, Brie meets and has a strange encounter with Selwyn Kane. And then somewhere in the distance, Alice screams. So what has changed? In the beginning, she was just, you know, safe, right? Nothing bad or weird was happening. And she has moved closer to the danger side of the spectrum. So she's not in immediate danger, but she's getting closer to danger, right? Um, We had a, stop me if you want to chime in, Abigail, but we had a question come in, like, how do we identify uh, where a scene begins and ends and where, um, how that cause and effect from scene to scene works? So um, are you chiming in, Abigail? Oh, I was going to say, well, Van and I both are big advocates of always planning stories and scenes and not chapters. Yeah. Um, Because a chapter... And this is, as you can see, we've identified scene one. So both Savannah and I thought this was two scenes as a first chapter. Uh, and how we're identifying where that is sometimes, and you'll notice like in, in Regent Board, sometimes there are scene breaks. And instinctively, the author has, you know, just had a scene and a scene break. But I don't look for a scene break to identify where a scene is personally, because I'm looking for a value shift. So when I'm trying to identify when something of value has changed from beginning to end, that's when I can conclude if a scene has happened Um, versus like a beat level. It's there's a change in tactic or a change in like how a character is approaching something. So really, when you're looking at these five commandments, they can work on any unit of story. But for the scene itself, we're looking for what is that value shift? And there might be multiple within a chapter. Is there anything else that you would add, Savannah? Yeah. So um, I think I think that's a great way to look at it, which you'll see the, the value start to shift at the turning point in that crisis moment. So what she's talking about here is we're saying, OK, if the if she's gone from being totally safe to being in a little bit of danger, this is when it happens. It's when she decides to stay. So mm-hmm. she could have decided to go home to the dorm and then she would have been never been in this position of danger. Right. Um Let's see. And so the other thing, because the question was like, how do we, how does the cause and effect work? Right. And so we can kind of see here in this resolution, Alice screams, right? So this is, I put this in the resolution and we can talk about um, maybe, maybe why it's not the inciting incident of the next scene. But I like it here because it's, it's part of what kicks her into the next scene. So this scene is done and Alice screams. So now we go into scene two where her goal is to find Alice and say, like, what the heck made my friend scream like that? Are they in danger? You know, like, what's happening, right? So it, so this resolution prompts this goal. Yes. So then with this goal in mind, the inciting incident here is that Brie comes across a group of boys fighting and she sees a, a flicker of light above their head and it triggers a memory. So we don't know as readers who are brand new to this story uh, what's going on, right? We're like, is this magic? What What's happening? But it's it, interesting and it triggers a memory. Conflict escalates from there. And the turning point is when she realizes nobody can see the flickering creature except for Cell. And then he mes- mesmers her and asks her to leave, but it doesn't work 100%. Um, so this is when things start to change, right? 
Her choice here is she can go find Alice in Charlotte, and she says this in the text, and hide my curiosity like I hide my grief, or she can stay and figure out what's happening and follow that curiosity. So she, um, it seems like she might be going to follow it, but before she can decide, smoke and flame envelop cell. So he kind of just bursts into smoke and flame. And as a resolution, Bree sees Cell and Tor take down the creature with magic. And the creature says it's feeding and it says it's not by its gate. So, and then Bree runs. So we get some information here about the central plot. And what's <laughs> changed is that she's gone from being in that slight danger zone to being in more literal danger. Um, so I think what we, we wanted to talk about, like, why is Alice screaming not the inciting incident? If you if you thought that or saw that, it's not necessarily wrong. I just uh, it makes sense for my brain when it's part of the resolution and it triggers that goal going into the next scene. Um, anything you want to add there, Abigail? Well, I'm curious for the people who thought this was one scene. What were people thinking was the the crisis for one scene versus two scenes? What was the turning point crisis? Yeah, and you guys can let us know in the chat. I see someone. Let me see who's this. Chris saying. They move to a different area. So unity of place, um, that can be a signal that it's a new scene, but it I don't think it's always, um, it's not always going to mean a new scene when you go to a different place. I like to really look at the goal. So is the goal the same? And are they changing tactic like Abigail was saying? Um, or is has the goal changed and now we're in a new scene, whether that's a mm-hmm. new location or not? Um, so let us know if you would like in the chat or c- come on camera if you want. Uh, if you saw something different, if you were on this team one scene, what did you think? Um, and we don't have anyone chiming in yet. So we're going to go ahead. Um, and yeah, so Stephanie says, I wonder if the creature saying this is not my gate is a breadcrumb about Davis opening the gates. It's not the creature's mm-hmm. gate. It's Davis's. Yes, totally. <laughs> Which is very cool, right? In the first chapter. Um, hi, Daniel. He says he's team two, team two scene. Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, okay, so why do we think this opening chapter is effective? Feel free to put your um, comments in the chat. Come on camera. But everyone I saw collectively, we were like, we love this scene, right? Um, I'll put us in the Brady Bunch circles for this. <laughs> so what what did you guys think? Why, why did this hook us so much? Um, and then also... If you would like to tell us what do we think the big picture expectations were that this first chapter set up. So we're going to go into that a little bit next. Mm-hmm. Um, so Chris says it plunges you right in. No messing around. Stuff goes down the first day of school. Yeah, big deal, right? Um, Amy says, okay, now it's going fast. I think there's a delay. Amy says it draws us in with action. That's relatable. Um, I lost the comment. That's relatable while adding the mysterious element of magic. Yes. Kelly says it raises a question in a great way. So definitely um, an intro to characters and shows action plus interiority. Yes. Julia kept me reading because it left me with so many questions that I now needed answers to. So that's hallmark of a great chapter, right? Um, Stephanie said the same thing. Lots of hooks and questions and mysteries. Arena right into the action. Then the magic is introduced, effective, effectively introduces characters and lots of conflicts, make you want to know more, manages to give you enough to be curious about with about what's coming, but starting off with a bang. Okay, so you guys are all spot on with what we were going to say. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so uh, do you want to take this one, Abigail? Yeah. So, so for scene one, 
this really does ground us in character and in plot. And I think that's something that Savannah and I, we have oogled and ogled about this <laughs> since we've known each other. Yes. And if you know us, you know that we're obsessed with Harry Potter. And this is one of the things that Harry Potter does really well, because it's always we've always argued, yes, Harry Potter is an action story, but it doesn't exist without the worldview story. So it's like they have if without that internal arc, it's not Harry Potter. And I thought and Savannah thought that Legendborn equally does this. It's excellent at really grounding us in character, the fears, the wounds, what's really troubling her on a human level, free on a human level. And then it throws us into this like high stakes, wicked, cool, magical action plot, right? So it's really doing a great job at combining the two, or as I like to say, they marry one another. So they're working together. Uh, the central conflict is also set up here, right? And that's reinforcing again, we have internal and external stakes and both are extremely high. So we have this demon on campus and okay, a demon now is on campus. So obviously we're in a fantasy-ish type world here. Like there's something magical to this. Um, we're not in a horror world, right? But it is like this, ma- there's magic, there's lights and all these things. Um, and also we learned that this is really important and you identified this in the chat, the demon's away from the gate. So there's something with gates and there's a big mystery there that we're going to have to figure out. It also introduces the magic, as we said, of Legendborn. And this is allowing us to see a taste of what's to come for any fantasy lover. We want our magic. So that's always fun to see. Uh, but we don't know fully how it works and all that. Plus, we start to see the hierarchy of the order in action. And it's hinted at because we don't know what the order is yet, but you can see that with Tor and Sal and being in charge. It introduces Bree's wounds, as I mentioned, and the manifestation of it in real life. And you, that's before Bree and after Bree. And it shows us that Evan is not around when the partial demon appears, which is a... There are always very subtle hints about Evan, but not huge ones. Yeah. So when you go back and you look for them again, you can find them. But so they are there. Yeah. They are set up. But most of the ones simple. I found where it's like he's just MIA when something's happening, which is really easy to miss the first time around. But the other thing I would add to this list, too, is like it it sets up their relationship with Cell because they each mm-hmm. feel that spark when they first meet and they don't know why or what that means. And we don't either. Um, but it makes sense when we learn that Brie is um, going to be called by Arthur. Uh, so you guys pretty much nailed all these, which is great. Um, we did have a question for you guys. Why do we think that the author included a prologue? Because there's so much mixed advice, like prologues are terrible. Prologues are great. Certain readers love them. Certain readers don't. So did how did you guys feel about the prologue? Did it work? And if so, um, why do you think it was a good choice or why do you think it was a bad choice? And Chris says she loves prologues. I like them too, <laughs> as long as they're um, meaningful. Uh, yeah, Stephanie, I was going to ask about the prologue. She liked this one. Uh, Amy says, I can't wait to hear this. I like them, but I was told not to use them. <laughs> and Chris, you're not so talkative that you need to apologize. So do not apologize. Um, and so then people who are thinking that they like pro- this prologue in particular, why do you like it? Yeah. Answer the question, why? What, yeah. what about it do you think really stuck out that made you say, uh-huh, this has got me up from the prologue as well as chapter one? You know, I'll tell you my answer because I told Abigail it was either yesterday or the day before that I was like, I don't really care about this prologue. I don't need it. And and normally I'm a fan of prologues. However, I went back and read it and I'm like, 
this is the moment Brie gets her sight because her mom died. I didn't get yep. that the first time when I was thinking about it. Um, and Amy says she doesn't remember it. So basically, like, mom has just been in a car crash and she's in the hospital. Um, you know, but I was like, okay, that that makes me like it a little bit more. Uh, and then Stephanie says, I liked it. Yeah, and I always liked it. So it's, yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that the prologue does, and it's not necessarily specific to a prologue, but it's a testament of um, Tracy Dion and her skill as a writer, is it captures you with narrative voice immediately. So I loved Bree's voice. Like when Savannah and I were even picking between a couple options, we had a few on the table and I voted for this one, which by the way, Savannah had pitched. So bravo to you for <laughs> picking something great. Not surprised. But immediately I was like, I want this one because of the voice. I liked the concept. I was interested in the concept. I want to learn more, but you know, that's part of it. It's like voice is going to grab. It's either, it either grabs you or it doesn't. And we're very grounded in Bree's internal um, you know, her wounds and her fears. Yeah. And that is so deeply woven and thread into the plot and what motivates her throughout the whole story. And we're seeing it here in yeah. this moment. So I maybe it's just because I'm drawn to characters um, who are grieving. I just, that tends to be what I go for. I go for stories with grief. And this was identifying the loss or the lack. Yeah. So that was huge. And then as, if you do a second read or, you know, as you learn more in the story, you do actually start to come as Savannah identified why this is such an important scene strategically on the external landscape as well as the internal one, because it's holding Brie back, right? It's creating her flawed view that's going to hold her back. What is going, it's going to set up her internal arc. Right. But at the same time, it has a lot of important identifications as to what she has to achieve on the external landscape. Right. Yeah. So, and everybody's kind of identifying similar things in the chat. It draws us into her voice and her grief, sets up the relationship with Alex, uh, Alice and Bree. So yeah, all that stuff, you guys are spot on. So that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and for showing your support. If you want to check out any of the links I mentioned in this episode, you can find them in the show notes listed in the description of each episode inside your podcast player or at savannagilbo.com forward slash podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're following this podcast because there's going to be another brand new episode coming out next week. If you're an Apple user, I'd really appreciate it if you took a few seconds to leave a rating and a review. Your ratings and reviews tell Apple that this is a podcast that's worth listening to. And in turn, your reviews will help this podcast get in front of more fiction writers just like you. So if you have a quick second, please leave a rating and a review and share this podcast with some of your friends. And then I'll see you next week with a brand new episode full of actionable tips, tools, and strategies to help you become a better writer. So until then, happy writing.